Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Good afternoon, and welcome to the ninth annual Jesse Helms Lecture here at the Heritage Foundation. My name is Brian Rogers, and I serve as the president of the Jesse Helms Center, uh, which co-hosts this lecture. The Jesse Helms Center is located in Wingate, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. Today I'm joined by many friends, including Helms Center board members Jimmy Broughton, Mary Suma, and Jim Duncan. And I'm also joined by John Dodd, who serves as our President Emeritus and Senior Advisor to the Center, and he helped lead the effort to establish this lecture series during his 25-year tenure as President of the Jesse Helms Center. So why the Jesse Helms Lecture? A little background. Senator Helms was the first Republican from North Carolina to serve in the United States Senate, where he served for 30 years. During his term, he was steadfast and resolute in his fight for balanced budget amendment, prayer in school, for the unborn, and for freedom. Along with Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, he fought against communism, aggression, and expansion, and he helped lead the effort to end the Cold War. Margaret Thatcher's forward to Senator Helms in his book, Empire for Liberty, she wrote Jesse Helms' record as a freedom fighter is unmatched. In 1994, Jesse Helms became the only, the second North Carolinian to serve as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. His defense of our nation's sovereignty became front and center during his chairmanship. He also gained the respect of Republicans and Democrats alike who respected his style of leadership and deeply held conservative principles. Then, Senator Biden, who served as minority leader on that committee, spoke on the Senate floor upon the senator's retirement and stated, Jesse Helms is, in the truest sense, a man of honor and considerable decency. And quite frankly, there are no qualities more important to this chamber. Few senators in my tenure have played as significant a role in the affairs of this nation as Jesse Helms. In Senator Helms' autobiography, Here's Where I Stand, he wrote, I consider NATO expansion as one of my proudest moments as chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. You see, Jesse Helms was a visionary. While leading the expansion of NATO in the mid-90s, which included Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic, he made it clear to President Clinton and his administration that this was to be an expansion not a transformation of NATO. In other words, NATO was to operate with its 
original intent of his original guidelines and in no uncertain terms was its mission to become a nation builder. He made it clear that NATO was not to answer to the UN and he was adamant that NATO expansion would not be put on the backs of the American taxpayer. You know what? His 10 conditions that he submitted were met and NATO expansion quickly passed in the United States Senate. And today, we are proud to have Senator Helms' former Senate colleague and personal friend, Ambassador Kay Bailey Hutchinson with us as she leads our nation's efforts to ensure a strong NATO alliance. There is no doubt Senator Helms will be so proud of the work that you are doing and, and the president and his leadership in the, the, this role. Senator Helms' admiration of the Heritage Foundation is very well documented. In a personal letter to President Ed Fulner of Heritage, he wrote in October of uh, 2000, he wrote, if America is saved, Heritage will have played an enormous role in her salvation. Introducing Ambassador Hutchison today is Heritage's Executive Vice President, Kim Holmes. Dr. Holmes oversaw the think tank's defense and foreign policy team for more than two decades, which included the Douglas and Sarah Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies, the Asian Studies Center, the Center for International Trade and Economics, and the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. He is the author of three books, The Closing of the Liberal Mind, Rebound, Getting America Back to Great, and Liberty's Best Hope, American Leadership for the 21st Century. From 2002 to 2005, Dr. Holmes served as Assistant Secretary of State for International Organization Affairs under then-President w. George W. Bush. He was responsible for developing policy and coordinating U.S. engagement at the U.N. and 46 other international organizations. Dr. Holmes, you no doubt have the patience of Job and the wisdom of Solomon. Please welcome Dr. Holmes. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to see all of you here this afternoon. Uh, thank you, Brian, John. Uh, welcome uh, back to the Heritage Foundation. A warm welcome also to the, the Board of uh, Trustees of the Helm Center. It's really an honor and pleasure to have you here. Uh, Mrs. K. Cole James wishes that she were here with you, but uh, uh, she is uh, engaged elsewhere at this point. But uh, I just wanted to come in and uh, welcome all of you to the Heritage Foundation for this very important event. We have been very proud to uh, be a partner with the Helm Center to host the annual Jesse Helms Lecture now for a number of years, actually over a decade. And today's topic, uh, as, as uh, Brian just said, is particularly important to Senator Helms. But it's also uh, important uh, to me personally. I'm an historian. I have degrees in history uh, that focus on European history. And one of my earliest jobs at the Heritage Foundation was as a foreign policy uh, expert that focused on Europe and the then Soviet Union. Uh, and this interest in the importance of the transatlantic relationship and European security has carried out throughout my entire career. 
I support NATO because I know why it was founded and how it was instrumental in, de in deterring and defeating the Soviet Union. But I also know that recently NATO has been showing some cracks. There's been much talk and much analysis about who is contributing what to NATO, what is a fair share, what is NATO's role in the changed political and conflict landscape, and frankly, what is the future direction of the alliance. It has also seemed recently that some of our European members appear to care less than the United States does about the strength and integrity of NATO. Now, this may or may not be true, uh, but hopefully our European friends understand why some Americans believe that it is true. These concerns led President Trump and also actually previous administrations to demand more of a commitment from our European allies. And many past administrations have certainly talked this way and have talked about the importance of this commitment. But one of the things that I think that has changed with President Trump is I think this administration means it. It knows that a hollow NATO does not provide the support, assurance, or deterrence that is needed to shore up not only European security, but the, the security of the transatlantic relationship. In short, we need a strong NATO with committed partners. We do not need an alliance in name only. I know few people more committed to a strong NATO than our special guest today, Ambassador Kay Bailey Hutchison. She has not only worked tirelessly on NATO and European security, but also has a long and distinguished track record supporting American defense and American security. Ambassador Hutchison has been a key figure in U.S. foreign and defense policy since the 1990s. From 1993 to 2013, she served as U.S. Senator from Texas, during which she served on the Senate Armed Services Committee. She was chairman of the Military Construction Subcommittee and a member of the Defense Subcommittee on the Senate Appropriations Committee. She also served two terms as chairman of the Board of Visitors of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. It's with this experience, it is no wonder that President Trump asked her to be America's ambassador to NATO, where she has worked to strengthen the alliance since 2017. As I said, I think I can think of no better person to discuss the importance of NATO to America in a way that would remember the legacy of Senator Helms than to hear from Ambassador Kay Bailey Hutchison. Please join me in welcoming Ambassador. Thank you very much, Kim. I really appreciate your being here, and you have had a distinguished career in history and uh, working some, I think, some of the uh, uh, papers that you've written, particularly the INF Treaty issue, uh, which I dealt with at NATO. Um, you have moved so much uh, in the right direction uh, about our national security and of our national security. And I just want to say, uh, first of all, uh, to Brian as well, um, what Kim said about the Heritage Foundation uh, making a difference in uh, the freedom of our country and the appreciation of the importance of freedom is true. And I found, as a United States Senator, that 
uh, it was so helpful to have the Heritage Foundation um, to be able to do uh, research and work that maybe was outside of what your Senate staff could do because we're, we were all kind of um, going in so many directions and sort of nibbled to death by ducks, we said, um, that having a think tank that can do the research and, and help you form big ideas for making a difference, um, that is the role that heritage plays and why it's so important that we uh, continue to have the think tank capabilities uh, that help the office holders who don't have the same amount of capabilities and time uh, to come up with the ideas that make um, our country a better place. Um, let me say that, uh, first of all, it was wonderful to work with Jesse Helms. Um, he was so interesting, and I called him the Amendment King of the United States Senate. And I'll bet if Heritage would do the research that they would find that Jesse Helms probably had more amendments passed unanimously with bipartisan support than probably any other member of the Senate, at least during the time that I served and he served. Because he was brilliant at crafting something you couldn't vote against. Even if you thought, oh my gosh, you know, is that really what we want to do? Well, you are at your peril if you don't vote for it, which the Democrats as well as the Republicans came to realize. So if you do the research, I think you'll find it's true. And I said when he decided to retire that I said, well, all I want is the staffer who wrote his amendments. Um, but he really was. Um, he was amazing. And um, Madeleine Albright said that, um, you know, when she was getting ready to meet Jesse Helms as the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, she wasn't quite sure what to expect. And as it turns out, they became the odd couple of Washington because they got along so well. And Madeleine Albright sings his praises uh, because they could work together, uh, work on the things where they uh, needed to do something going forward in a bipartisan way and made it happen. So um, he, he was an extraordinary senator, and I'm really pleased that uh, I'm here uh, at his center uh, making the address. You know, let me, let me start with the first thing that uh, we said about Jesse Helms, and that was the expansion of NATO. This was very controversial. Um, a lot of people were really concerned, and the issue was, do you keep NATO small, more efficient, because you have allies that have worked together for all these years, and they have the same uh, way of dealing with things, and do you keep it that way in order to make sure that it stays effective? Or do you expand as these new democracies were coming into Eastern Europe um, in order to 
uh, tried to make sure that you had a stronger alliance with all of the Europeans that had been under Soviet dom domination in the past. Um, and that was a big debate on the Senate floor. And the fact that Jesse was so instrumental in leading that effort was very important because um, his voice made a difference in how we looked at this issue. Uh, I was one of those that was thinking, oh my goodness, are we going to lose the capability to have the consensus and uh, what will we do with Article 5 uh, if a country's not ready to come into NATO? But that was the genius of what was crafted. Because when we all voted for the expansion, the parameters for expansion were not that you just took countries in. It was that they had to meet a certain standard of a stable democracy, of a rule of law, of human rights um, uh, recognition, and, and the things that would underpin a democracy and that they would have a certain military capability to defend themselves. So these countries that came in after really not having a familiarity with democracies at all because they had been under such a domination for most of the leaders' lives, they had to form that democracy that would be strong enough that they would be able to build an economy and a, and a security that would allow them to defend themselves. We made these countries stronger by having the standards before they would get into NATO and then taking them in. And I can tell you that those new members, the newer members uh, that came in that, uh, that time frame are much stronger, even though some of them have backtracked a bit Maybe they have uh, made um, decisions that we would disagree with on uh, the kind of judiciary that are appointed, the independence of their judiciary. Sometimes their democracies have uh, not been as stable as we would like. Sometimes um, their uh, freedom of the press has been encroached. Um, all of these things have happened, but they've all... I can't say all yet, but they come back in the right direction. Some of the countries, because we constantly are working with them to, to say you must do more in the selection of judges to make sure that they are independent. You, we, we do give advice to our allies. I can't say that we're 100% there uh, because we still have to keep... Uh, going along with their political situations. But I don't think that the democracies that we have taken into NATO would all necessarily be as strong as they are and might have even been more vulnerable to uh, Russian intervention particularly if we hadn't set those standards and brought them into our tent as opposed to letting them hang out there by themselves outside the tent. So I am a believer that the expansion of NATO has strengthened NATO and 
um, I, I want to say that in any organization that goes from 12 to 29, and, and it will be 30 uh, very soon, um, there are growing pains. There's no doubt about it. And we, though, have um, a, a system in NATO that works very well. If I came to my Senate colleagues here and said, well, we operate with unanimous consent requirements for everything, my colleagues would go, are you kidding me? I mean, how can that possibly work? But that is how NATO operates. It operates on unanimous consent. It is a consensus. But what happens is the compromises happen because they know that we have to move forward in certain ways. And so people do give and take. And it's, it's really a working machine uh, in that respect. And I have seen uh, a lot of give in uh, what people start with and how they end up in a negotiation. And there is a lot of negotiation. We have uh, a committee structure that rivals anything I've ever seen. Because anything that gets up to the NATO uh, ambassador level, we call it the NAC, it's the NATO uh, Council. Anything that gets up to that level has already been through a tasking process to get advice on how we would deal with something. And then it goes through a political committee and then a deputies committee. And then by that time, you've gone out to the capitals and you've gotten their input uh, to determine that they will agree to it at the highest level, and that's when it comes to the council level and is agreed. So when something comes up, it goes through so many processes and, and a lot of give and take that we do come out with the, the results that we want. I am, I am more convinced now than I ever have been, that the transatlantic bond is the strength of NATO, and it is the strength of our security umbrella. I've come to that realization uh, in a different way from when I was in the Senate, even though for 20 years I was in the security area of the Senate. But the, the combination of America with the European allies is a combination that works. Because without America, I don't think the Europeans would take the actions that are needed for the strong deterrence and defense, and for the adaptations that NATO has made through the years, going from just our uh, European and North Atlantic base to going outside of our geographic area uh, in the, in the uh, situation where we faced uh, terrorism, where we have gone out into Afghanistan, uh, which was a result of Article 5. The only time that Article 5 has been uh, invoked at NATO was on behalf of America, where we went to Afghanistan to stop terrorism 
that was fomenting in Afghanistan and was resulting in uh, what happened on 9-11. So we have adapted and we have done it by consensus and we have strengthened and NATO is much stronger now than it has ever been, even though we have probably uh, greater threats than we have had from multiple sources today. Uh, today, our major focus is counterterrorism, and we are expanding that now uh, in the Middle East. Afghanistan is, of course, a major NATO mission, but we are also uh, doing training in Iraq. Um, as you know, uh, the president has asked NATO to do more in Iraq and in uh, the Middle East uh, beyond, and NATO is responding. We are now working uh, to increase the NATO presence in Iraq and working uh, side by side with the coalition to defeat ISIS, which is a, uh, a coalition of the willing that is... Uh, its purpose is to defeat ISIS and not let it resurge in Iraq. NATO is working side by side with that coalition, training the Iraqis to try to strengthen their defense of their own country, as well as um, trying to make sure that they have the capability when we leave uh, to do that. So it is, I think, very important that we did that original expansion and that we have adapted to the, uh, the threats that we are facing that are a common threat to all of our allies. The other major area that we deal with today is Russia. Uh, that became much stronger after 2014 when Russia invaded Crimea. And we are today continuing to build up uh, the deterrence of the countries that would be vulnerable to Russia. Um, we have an enhanced forward presence that NATO has put together to strengthen our deterrence of Russia encroaching on the Baltics or Poland or Romania. Um, so that is the other major uh, NATO mission that is addressing two big threats that are common to all of us. What we did in the leaders meeting in uh, London, which was such an important meeting, and it is where I think President Trump uh, really came out strong on behalf of uh, what NATO has done at his request. And as was mentioned before, I, I served with four presidents in the Senate, and um, I, Republicans, two Republicans, and two Democrats, and all of them have said that our NATO allies need to do more. This is not something new with President Trump. We have seen this happen since really President Kennedy saying that really the Europeans need to do more in NATO. The president made that very clear in his first uh, meetings in NATO. 
And our allies are stepping up. And I respect so much that the president has acknowledged that they have stepped up, that they are increasing their defense spending to make sure that they are strong enough not only to defend themselves, but to have the common security umbrella that NATO was formed to provide. So we have seen that our allies are standing up. I will say that our allies are also uh, rebalancing the, the burden sharing for the common funding, which funds all of our missions and our headquarters. Uh, we are going to uh, see much more of the European uh, uh, buy-in to NATO where our percentage will go down and theirs all goes up. So all of this is very important for making NATO stronger. Uh, we're not where we have to be in the end, but we are so much better off. Uh, I think the president used the number of how much the Europeans have stepped up just since 2017. Uh, they've uh, increased defense spending at the, from their 2% pledge by 130 billion dollars. And by 2024, when the Wales pledge was uh, has its deadline, it will be four, over 400 billion dollars in increased defense spending because of the Wales pledge that was made in 2014 when the Russians took over Crimea and um, and NATO began then to see that we had another threat from Russia, um, and we have built up to deter any kind of, uh, of future takeover by Russia of another sovereign country. Uh, we are supporting Ukraine right now, where the Russians are fighting in eastern U Ukraine uh, to keep the Ukraine government from its rightful place uh, to, um, to have the say of their country all the way to the borders with Russia. And um, so I think that we are, are stepping up uh, now for the threats that we face. One of the things that we did, um, the leaders adopted in uh, London last uh, December is that we are now looking at China. China as an opportunity, as well as a challenge. Uh, we have seen with the Belt and Road Initiative, something that really China's been working on for years, if you think about it, um, taking uh, so much of the infrastructure of ports, all, not only uh, in Asia, uh, and where China it has built islands in the South China Sea, but now into an Europe and all the way up into Northern Europe, um, they are getting, they are now very active in, um, in the North Atlantic, in the Arctic. And um, so we are now uh, looking at China as much more of a military buildup in addition to dealing with China, as uh, this administration is doing, I think very effectively calling China out on trade, um, uh, 
trying to create a more level playing field in trade, um, but also on the security side as well, because the Belt and Road Initiative um, is a, a takeover of much of the infrastructure of ports all around Europe, and it, it's something that we've got to recognize as a potential threat. Uh, China controls two-thirds of the largest container ports in the world. And if you look at our own hemisphere, uh, China has the largest installations on either end of the Panama Canal as well. So they started a long time ago thinking of how they would have uh, control of navigation if they ever chose to uh, do that. And so I think that we have to now assess uh, what do they control, uh, what do they have. We're very concerned with the 5G and, and the control of communications networks, and we're dealing with that at NATO as well, uh, trying to um, assure that we have secure communications. We're not where we need to be on that front, and uh, we've been hampered because we haven't got uh, the capability to uh, control 5G networks um, even in our own country, uh, much less many of the other countries. So uh, we need to, to be looking very carefully at China. Uh, we want China to be a competitor, but on a level playing field. We want to be friends with China. But we also need to be clear-eyed about risks from some of their behavior and make sure that we are deterring any kind of risk that we would have uh, to a belligerent China in the future. We hope it doesn't happen, but hope is not a promise. It is not a plan, and we will do what's necessary uh, to assure that we do have uh, our alliance protected uh, in the security umbrella that NATO was formed to do. And I'll stop there and say, I'm, I'll ha be happy to take your questions. I want to say as a, an aside that Jesse Helms um, was not a person that really liked to take questions from the press. And I learned that the hard way when I went to North Carolina to campaign with Jesse. Um, because he had a race, and uh, we did a, an event, and it was a wonderful event. And when we walked out of the event, the press was waiting to talk to Jesse. And Jesse said, oh, um, I'm not going to talk to you today. She's going to take the questions. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Jesse's um, uh, way of doing things. And so I did take the questions. And... In Jesse's honor, I will take questions from you today as well, even if you're from the press. So thank you very much. So we have some uh, Heritage interns that have a microphone uh, that will, when I call on you, they will hand that microphone, not to you, but close to you. And uh, if you could please hold the microphone close. Uh, but let me, let me start, because you mentioned, uh, Ambassador, a little bit about NATO and Iraq. What else 
is going on in the Middle East that they're monitoring? I mean, obviously, Iran is uh, very important, but, but could you expand on that a little bit more? Oh, yes. Um, we, we're very uh, much wanting to do more in Iraq because uh, the government has fallen and there's a new prime minister who was just appointed le this week, actually, or last week, actually, um, who is trying to form a government. But the influence of Iran is very great in Iraq, and it's destabilizing. And Iran itself, of course, has been um, uh, exporting militias that uh, are terrorist organizations, and they are in, uh, they're in Lebanon, they're in Yemen, they're in um, certainly Iraq. And, uh, and they're also um, making trouble in Afghanistan. Um, and we know that Libya is a, a hotbed right now uh, of, in, a, in a civil uh, uh, disagreement. And so uh, there is a lot of unrest in uh, the Middle East. And what our goal is to protect our people from the exported terrorists coming into Europe or into uh, America or Canada. And our goal in de-ISIS is to keep the ISIS from coming back. Um, it is important that we, um, that we have adapted in this way because originally we were not going to go outside of the boundaries of our allied countries. But um, we are certainly... Um, very troubled by Iran. We're calling on our European allies, which are still in the JCPOA, uh, to not allow Iran to break the agreement that they have with the Europeans that are in the agreement uh, to begin to perfect a nuclear weapon. That cannot happen. Uh, we, we see the kind of trouble uh, that happens when uh, a rogue nation uh, and a nation that exports terrorists, in my view, is a rogue nation, um, is, uh, has nuclear capability. Uh, we know what happens in North Korea. And so we are uh, going to try to do more in Iraq and try to help stabilize Iraq, uh, but we're not going to stand for the Iranian militias to continue to um, foment such terrorism without building up our defenses. Yes, sir. Let me wait till you get a microphone. Yep, just hang on just a second. She's coming. Julian Barnes, New York Times. Um, Ambassador, I wonder if you could address first uh, three years ago, NATO was very reluctant to enter the de-ISIS coalition. It took them a long time to send their uh, AWACS planes. Now we're on a cusp of a, uh, a fairly large expansion of the Iraq mission. What has changed in the Allied thinking? And then I want you to talk a little bit more about your the 5G that you, you mentioned. The administration has had a mixed record at convincing allies to keep Huawei out. 
is there more that NATO can do under the Washington Treaty to kind of uh, get allies to rethink decisions to, to come along with the American assessment that uh, Huawei or China is a security threat in 5G? Yes, well, um, of course, what has changed uh, is the resurgence of ISIS in Iraq. And that caused the necessity of a de-ISIS coalition, which, um, which NATO joined um, really within the last two years. I guess 2017, I could be wrong on that date, but I think it's 2017. <coughs> but what changed um, is that we were not going to allow uh, ISIS to resurge in Iraq and be exported then to our countries. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> um, and now <coughs> Iran um, with the <coughs> backing of, um, uh, of funding has been able to, under the leadership of Soleimani, um, export terrorist militias, where many times Iran would not take the blame for a terrorist attack, but it was an Iranian-backed militia uh, that would. And I've named the other countries in the Middle East where these militias are uh, fomenting um, terrorism, and our goal is to keep terrorists from coming into our countries. That's what the NATO alliance. That's why NATO uh, got into the DISIS coalition. It is a coalition of the willing. NATO joined, um, and uh, the NATO uh, forces are with the the ISIS coalition, which is made up of 40 countries that willingly are trying to keep ISIS down. And um, we, I, I will say that I think President Trump <clears throat> asked the Europeans to do more. They have stepped up. He has recognized that and was a strong defender of uh, the viability of NATO at the leaders' conference in London. And I think now uh, NATO is looking at ways to be stronger, looking at ways to do more uh, for our common uh, threat. And um, that's, it's changed because terrorism has become more rampant. On the issue of 5G, um, we, again, I think uh, the Chinese got ahead in the uh, uh, 5G capabilities, and they undercut um, other competitors so much that they were able to really put many com companies out of the business. So the companies that are in the business do not have really the capability to 
service all of the needs of all of our NATO alliance plus America. And I think now we are looking at ways to uh, find some technology that will be able to uh, 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 bar um, 5G um, capabilities if it is found that <clears throat> data is being breached or artificial intelligence is being used through uh, 5G or um, other ways for uh, hybrid and cyber to uh, be harmful to our, uh, our capability. Now, uh, on this, I just want to expand a little bit on, I didn't mention hybrid and cyber too much, but it is a very important tool that's being used, particularly by Russia and China, to divide our democracies. And we are seeing signs of uh, hybrid and cyber attacks that are to divide NATO, to spread malign um, lies that are not true, uh, to sow discontent and to uh, to take we we see hybrid going into both sides of a conflict in a country to make it uh, more volatile and it it's something that we've got to find the way to to stop we haven't found the way to stop so we we try to um, to have communications that will say um, <clears throat> this isn't true and here is the proof of that or here's the evidence that this is coming from Russia or China. Uh, but really what we need is the technology to stop it before it can get into our systems. And I think we're behind on this, but I think we are working on it. And I have been told that there is a, a new technology that can, for instance, go into uh, the, uh, a 5G network if we um, find that it is spying or, uh, or even doing malign hybrid warfare. And um, I hope that this is coming on board soon, but it's all in the uh, beginning stages right now. I saw the young lady right over here had a, had a question. First of all, thank you, Ambassador. Um, my question as a young European is, what else except for funds could the European Union or European countries do um, to help the U.S. to defeat um, ISIS and to help terrorism shrink and possibly and hopefully um, to destroy terrorism? Thank you. Well, NATO is taking the defense issues, and we are uh, working with our allies to do more. That uh, I think the president um, said he wanted NATO to do more. NATO has jumped in to begin a planning process uh, for what more we can do. We can take part of the advise uh, and train um, activities that are being done in the coalition to defeat ISIS over into 
the NATO uh, Iraq mission that's already in place and free up the, the fighters in the de-ISIS coalition uh, to do more in their arena. That, that's one thing that we can do. <clears throat> we are going to ask our military what more uh, could we do together? How can we train more? How can we train more trainers to go out into the Iraq um, forces themselves? What we do in Afghanistan is train the Afghan soldiers and let them do the kinetic work that is defending their own country. And they've done a really good job, and they've, they've paid a high price, but um, they're, they're in there fighting for their own country. And that's what we want, to help the Afghan fight for themselves, to help the Iraqis fight for themselves against these outside forces like ISIS, like uh, the Iranian militias. So um, I think it is very important that we step up. What the EU can do is, in, in 5G, we don't have in NATO a regulatory framework that would keep 5G from competing on an unlevel playing field. But EU does, and we have asked EU to step up and uh, make sure that in any procurement that is being done in the EU that they not allow a company that gets into a communication network in an EU country uh, to breach the contract that they make and reveal data that would be uh, data that was required to stay within that company, within that country. So basically not saying Huawei but saying any, co any company that can't assure the integrity of its contract will not be able to then have a procurement opportunity in the EU. So we have asked the EU to look at what they can do from a regulatory area, which could be very effective. <clears throat> Let's see here. I've got one over here in the back. Ma'am, thanks for your comments today. Uh, Eddie from Georgetown University. Just want to see what implications are presented to NATO if the post-New Start or the New Start Treaty ends uh, this time next year, or if it is not extended. Yes, um, everyone uh, would like for America to open the discussions with Russia and. Uh, America wants to bring China in, and Russia has agreed that China should be in on any kind of new arms control agreement. Uh, that would include uh, START II or any other, uh, I mean, it could be conventional, it could be nuclear. Uh, whatever we do must now include China, because China has probably more missiles than Russia, um, and they are certainly... Uh, have capabilities that put them in the higher levels now of uh, destruction with weapons of mass destruction. 
So uh, I think that, I, I know that our administration is preparing uh, to begin talks with Russia and make an effort to bring China in for the next level of arms control agreement. Time for one more uh, question. I'll go right here. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you, Ambassador, for a very interesting presentation. My name is Irakli from Republic of Georgia. So since you mentioned expansion of NATO, do you see any realistic prospects for Georgia becoming of, becoming of a member of NATO? Thank you. Yes. Uh, we are very, very uh, hopeful that Georgia will also get its two provinces back from Russia. Um, and we are very supportive of Georgia at NATO. Georgia is a partner of NATO, and Georgia actually does a lot in Afghanistan in the NATO missions. Um, we have we we have spoken out and will continue to speak out against uh, the Russia um, activity in Georgia. Uh, I'm, I'm sure most of you know that. Uh, Russia invaded before 2014, they invaded two provinces in Georgia, just took them over. And they have hardened the borders uh, even in the last uh, months um, to keep the Georgian people from being able to, to go into their country uh, if they live in those two uh, uh, provinces. And they, they even have, they put borders up that divide farms and, and uh, businesses from the, the people that, uh, where they work and where they live. Um, it's been very brutal, and we are making many efforts to help Georgia. We have NATO Georgia uh, uh, operations together, headquarters in Georgia, uh, to try to help them with their... Uh, their intelligence gathering, their hybrid uh, attacks, which Russia is making into Georgia constantly. Um, and so we are standing up for Georgia. We hope someday Georgia will be a member of NATO, um, and, and we're working with them. I was in Georgia probably two or three months ago. Uh, the whole NATO Council went to Georgia uh, to show our solidarity with Georgia, and we hope very much that we can get Russia out of their territory so that they can have their full sovereign uh, borders as they deserve to have. Ambassador Hutchison, we uh, are so grateful you took time today. It's been a busy week in Washington and a very historic week. But I get asked all the time, what do you think Jesse Helms would think of what is going on today? Uh, I can't answer that because it, it, it would take a long time probably, but uh, I can assure you that he is very proud and smiling down on the work that you're doing and President Trump is doing uh, for our country. So I appreciate you taking the time and we pray that, uh, that your work continues and um, anything we can do to be helpful. I would ask our audience if you could stay seated just a moment while we escort uh, her off the stage, and I would invite uh, those. We have some refreshments uh, afterwards that are uh, for everyone. Thank you very much.